1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books Network. I am Lee Pierce, the host of the channel in language, and I'm very excited today to have a really unusual interview. Um, today we're actually interviewing two people. The first is Kristen O'Donnell Tubb, who has written um, a series of books, and today we're looking at just the first book called The Story Collector, a New York Public Library book. This is The Story Collector is volume one of the Story Collector series, which takes place um, inside, as you might have guessed, the New York Public Library. It is a middle grade reader book, and it it was published by Henry Holt in 2018. Um, And since then, there have been other books, so we're just looking at number one. And it is illustrated by Jacopo Bruno. And I'm really excited to have Kristen here to talk about the book and how it, uh, how it came to be, and the pleasure of writing for this particular age group, which is normally we're talking about a much higher reading level on New Books Network. But also, <laughs> given everything that's happened with the pandemic, many of the, the literary conferences for young readers have been canceled, including TomeCon, which was supposed to take place. And so we're also very happy here to invite our own young reader, Erilyn Washburn, and Erilyn is going to be giving a book review of The Story Collector as well as sharing some of her favorite passages so that we're kind of doing like a multi-generational stay home pandemic book review. So pretty exciting.
0: And do you want to introduce yourselves, Kristen? Do you want to go first and then Erilyn? Sure. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Lee. It is my pleasure to be here with you and Erilyn. I uh, have been writing for just over a decade now, and I write books for middle grade readers, which is uh, grades eight to about seven, uh, ages eight to 14. And I love it. It, I think it's the best job in the universe. It's so (laughs) much fun. The Story Collector is definitely, like you said, the story of the real family that actually lived inside the New York Public Library. Library and its sequel, The Story Seeker, came out in January. I live outside of Nashville. Uh, I have two kids and five pets. So, we have had a little bit of a tight time lately, but we're super grateful to all be here together and healthy and well. <laughs> Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming. And, you know, on behalf of like all people who, and I'm not a parent, but Erilyn um, is my partner's child. And so, Erilyn and I do read together occasionally. And it's um, it's really nice to find a book that is so good. I, I was caught by the very opening passage of this book. And it's pretty rare that as I'm reading a middle grade reader, I'm excited about the book. <laughs> it's kind of Wonderful. A, a tedious labor of love to help someone else read. But I really was into this book. I love the storytelling. I love the way that you use um, some of the like game metaphors to tell the story of the kids' development. I love the energy of the book. I love the playful language. So thank you so much for writing the book. And um, it's been a pleasure to read. And then, Erin, do you want to say hello and tell us a little bit about
0: yourself?
2: Yeah, I really did like this book because... It had lots of good imagination and good friendship.
0: Oh, thank you, Erilyn. I appreciate that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and Erilyn, do you want to tell people who you are? Maybe, um, maybe, but you know, do you have a pet? Where are you from? What grade are you in? Um, maybe some of your favorite books. You know, just introduce yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm in fourth grade. I have a cat named Elsa. And you live in Georgia. Yeah. And what
1: did you say earlier? Your favorite book was
2: "Granted When the Store or When the Sea Turned to Silver" and "The Story Collector." And the story collector, good. Yes, oh, she's been she's oh, been trained. You made
0: well. My heart <laughs> super happy there, Carolyn. Thank you. Viviani keeps very very great company with those books. Thank you for that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she does. And do you, um, Viviani is the main, one of the main characters in the story for those listening. So uh, Kristen, do you want to maybe give us a little bit of just a plot overview? Because I don't want readers at home to be frustrated listening to us talk about a book they presumably haven't read yet because the, sure. the interviews normally precede that. And then we will we'll listen to your book review if that's okay. Okay. Okay, Kristen, yeah. all right, go ahead.
0: Awesome. Um, so yes, the story collector is the story of the Fiedler family who actually did live inside the New York Public Library. Um, the NYPL opened its very majestic doors in 1911. So the building is quite old and quite beautiful. It's it's so iconic. Um, and this is the building we're talking, the library with the two famous lions out front, Patience and Fortitude. Um, And so this library opened in 1911. And because it was such an old building, um, they needed someone there who lived inside the building to take care of it 24 hours a day to keep the literal fires burning, um, to take care of the plumbing, to take care of the furniture. Um, So they hired John Fiedler who moved into the library in 1911 with his wife, Cornelia, and his two sons, John Jr. and Edward. And um, fast forward a couple of years, and his daughter, Viviani, was literally born inside the library. They think it's the only child to ever be born inside that particular building of the NYPL. and so Viviani grew up around stories, um, and this is all true. They they lived in an eight-room apartment on the second floor of the building, and the kids grew up doing things like um, playing baseball indoors and using antique books for, ba- for bases, and they kept pigeons as pets uh, on the roof until... Um, they got in a little bit of trouble for doing that, and they weren't allowed to do that anymore. They used to play hide-and-go-seek from the guards of the building, and um, they tried to hide from the guards at night as much as possible when they were on their adventures. So they had this amazing childhood. And the wonderful thing about um, a lot of what they grew up seeing and doing um, was preserved because the New York Times and the New Yorker and several other publications realized what a unique childhood they had. So they interviewed them later in life when Viviani, Viviani left the library when she was 15 years old, but her brother, John Jr. actually stayed on as superintendent and he worked and lived there until the 1940s. so they have their the family history for the Fiedlers is really intertwined with the very beginnings of this iconic library, and I just was very honored when um, I was approached by my publisher Macmillan to write this story. I had never heard of the Feedlers, um, and when they asked, would you be interested in writing a story about a girl born and raised in the New York Public Library, and it's set in 1928 New York City? I thought. Uh, okay, now that I know this story exists, I have to tell it. That's amazing. So I'm really fortunate that um, I was able to send in a sample. They asked me to basically audition, like an actor auditions for a part. Um, sometimes writers do the same. So I sent in a sample portion and they hired me to write the book. And there have been, there's been another one since. So it's been an awesome ride.
1: Yeah, and and the book is uh, really reflects that energy. So, um, so Erilyn, do you want to tell us a little bit about the? So maybe tell us about TomeCon because our readers, our listeners probably don't know what that is. And you had planned to give a book report, and then maybe give us your book report, or is that what you're calling it—a book report or a book review?
2: Book talk. Book talk. Okay, and then yeah,
1: and we'd love to hear your book talk. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you for a few minutes.
2: Okay, TomeCon is a convention just for books and they have authors there that can sign your book. They have competitions which is you can use the book talk as a competition.
1: Cool. And were you doing yours as a competition or just for fun?
2: As a competition.
1: Dang. Well, now my competitive spirit wants to know if you would have won. <laughs> <laughs> Do you um And how did you get involved in Tomecon?
2: I'm in a book club called Tome Society and they take a field trip there every year. When it happens.
1: I think that's great. I love that like reading is still a thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. And do you want to say anything else or maybe read your book, your book review? Sorry, book talk.
2: One thing I really liked about us being able to go to TomeCon was us having to raise money for the tickets and stuff. Because it kind of. Oh, what
1: what did you do to raise money?
2: Papa John cards.
1: Oh, cool. cool.
2: And pretty sure like we had a book fair Mm -hmm. for it.
1: Awesome. And so you actually paid your own way to a conference that unfortunately then didn't happen. But maybe next year, are you going to keep the money and try to go next year? Or what's going to happen with that? Do you know?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be in Tome Society next year. And hopefully, I'll be able to go. Cool.
1: Kristen, is
2: Hopefully, me too.
1: (laughs) I know. Now I might go. This sounds awesome. Is is Tome Society... Is there a TomeCon? Is it always in Atlanta? I do think around. it's
0: always in Georgia. Yes. Okay, um, so it is and always I do in Georgia. Know, I I do believe that Tome Society was started in Georgia, but I think oh. it is growing. So but I may be mistaken on that. I am learning more about it as well uh, yeah, as fine. I was invited. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about what people listening might might have ideas about. i um, mean, like yeah, they yeah. get their kid involved in something that's cool. But yeah, unfortunately a lot of these conventions tend to stay in the same city every year cuz it's too hard yeah. to move around, but um, i'm sure I'm sure if anybody's interested, you could probably reach out to your travel bureau or your business bureau in your county or your state and they would be able to tell you about any literary or book conventions um that are that are targeted toward younger readers that are happening in the next couple of years so that would be an Absolutely. alternative for people or else, I'm, in, I'm in New York so
0: yeah 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 or your um humanities your humanities council should have that too. Oh,
1: or your are those state are there state by state humanities? They, they are state by state. Yeah. Oh, yep. I should know that. All right, I'm gonna. <laughs> I know what I'll be, look, I'll be. I know what I'll be googling when this is over. <laughs> All right, um, and Erlyn would you like now to read your book talk for us? Yeah. Cool.
2: Hey, who called me to do a book talk? Sorry, cause I'm booked. Okay, I'm lying, but I was called to do a book talk, so I guess I'll do it. My name is Erlyn and I'm going to be talking about a paranormal book called The Story Collector by Kristen O'Donnell Tub. It's about a girl named Vivney who lives in a library that her dad works at. Vivni, her friend Ava, and a girl named Merritt, who had just moved to town, had a sleepover at the library. They were told a story about a ghost named Big Red that roamed the halls in the janitor's closet. I'm going to stop because I'll spoil it, and I don't want to spoil it because hopefully you will read it. A similar book is Ivy and Bean Break the Fossil Record. I think it is similar because they're friends in both books that hang out together. It also reminds me of the Hardy Boys because the books are both about mystery. There's another book called The Story Seeker. There's no movie or other book to The Story Collector. I love this book because it had good imagination. Everyone can read it, including kids to adults. Now that you have been told about it, keep reading. Bye. (laughs) Ha! Yay!
1: (gasps) And here's oh uh, yeah, that was awesome. And here's to you getting a a movie deal out of this Yes, <laughs> <Out> of
0: this. <laughs> yes. thank you Erlyn for for making sure
1: that that is is clear. <laughs> Yes, she's she's always thinking ahead, and you and you can tell that that's she's awesome. that her parents are both good readers, right? That because that, she got the Hardy Boys throwback in there. Do you like that?
0: Yes, I do. Yeah. I love that, and I love Ivy and Bean. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Erilyn. I really really appreciate that, and I'm glad that you mentioned the ghost, Big Red, because that's something I forgot to mention in the um, kind of introduction of the Story Collector. But a lot of people really do think that the New York Public Library is haunted. And I don't know if you've seen the original Ghostbusters movie, but you know, the beginning of that movie takes place in a library and specifically the New York Public Library. And the reason why they decided to set the opening scene there is because that building is supposedly famously haunted. So um, they decided to kind of play on that in Ghostbusters, which I think is kind of cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Erlyn has seen Ghostbusters. Do you remember the scene in the public library, Erlyn?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, where the librarian gets weird. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the mean old ghost. Uh huh. Yeah. Like one of my favorite parts.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's partly why, um, that's why they decided to set the movie opening there. But, uh, a lot of librarians who've worked in the building really do um, have creepy stories of things happening after hours in that building, and I think it's kind of cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, my parents owned a restaurant, and for hundred, it was in the family for over a over hundred years <gasps> when I was born, and it was a huge, huge old building built in the mid eighteen hundreds that we'd always owned, and you know, and, and there was just. And I have never believed in ghosts, but I'll tell you, walking through this old building at night. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> There's just no way that thing wasn't haunted. It's too creepy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I love a good ghost story. And I thought that yeah. this one was really fun. So, Erin, oh, you were going to read a couple of maybe your favorite short passages, just because I'm a big believer that if someone takes the time to write something, you should actually read their language. So I, I thought we, that would be nice to do. And then we could let Kristen talk more about the book.
2: Yeah. It definitely hooked me with some people are story collectors, while others collect seashells or stuffed animals or stamps. Story collectors wrap themselves in words, surround themselves with sentences, and play with participles—even those pesky, pesky darling ones. I really like that part. I liked
0: oh, the part. I really appreciate you picking that part. I worked on that particular opening. Gosh, I probably revised it forty times. <laughs> so thank you for that, Erlen.
2: Yeah, I like the part where Vivien is trying to get help to show Mary a ghost. Because oh, yeah. It's just she cares so much. She wants to make her friend happy. And I really like that part.
0: Good. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad that you are mentioning the friendship aspect of it, because that was something that was very important to me to kind of portray with the Fiedlers, because they, w- they really did have a unique group of friends. In real life, everyone, there were a lot of kids in the similar situation than as they were who lived in hotels who lived in department store buildings, because they all lived in this block of downtown New York. And so it was, and they had really cool adventures because they lived in these unique places. So I'm really glad you picked up on that element because that was super important to me to portray the friendships that they had.
2: Yeah, and I liked the letter at the end.
0: Oh, good.
2: <sighs> Do you have that
1: in front of you? Could you read us a little bit of it? Or it's fine if not, I'm just curious.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do have it.
1: Okay, would you read a little bit of the letter?
2: Yeah. Dear friend, once upon a time, there were three girls who caught a thief. A thief who taught one of those girls that her story was worth sharing. And somehow, everything turned out all right. Papa's and Mr. Eames' jobs were saved. John Jr. and Edward are no longer mad at me. And best of all, I have another new best friend. Oh, and Mr. Green doesn't want to gobble me up.
1: (laughs) i probably should have warned you there's some spoiler alerts in that uh so are yeah. listening that's kind of, that kind of tells you everything that happened but well that was awesome Marilyn thank you so much um do you want to say anything yeah. else i don't think so you feel good okay then oh, um i'm and so if it's okay with you i'm gonna ask kristen some questions as the author and um maybe some questions that the that
0: the parents or families of of
1: young readers might be interested in okay
0: right, thank if you I, so much Marilyn. i really appreciate uh the parts that you picked out thank you you're welcome all
1: right so we've touched on a couple of things I want to ask you about. And obviously the opening, the opening piece was some people, you know, collect things. Some people collect stories, some some people collect seashells and also um, th- like the, the play on the part the, the, the pleasure of a participle and the way you used alliteration there. But as you, as you could kind of tell from Erilyn's reading, it's a dense opener. So I thought kind of a risky move, kind of a risky move, but one that's really going to
0: pay off for the person who feels like this is their book. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's really thank you for say asking that because my editor and I went back and forth on this opening like I said we I probably revised it 40 times. Uh-huh, yeah. Um and we finally landed on the fact that true story collectors will recognize that opening and see themselves in it. Um and so we decided ultimately I mean it was a lot longer actually <laughs> mm-hmm. because I had so much fun writing all of those metaphors mm-hmm. and playing with it and stuff and she did convince me to um to boil it down which definitely was the right choice. I mean editors are almost always right after authors yes. <laughs> about it for a little while. <laughs> I know. It's true. It's true in academia yeah. as well,
1: same relationship. Okay. Yes.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. So um yeah, I really I'm really proud of that um, how, the, how the ending how, excuse me, how the opening turned out. And um, I do think that we've gotten a lot of feedback about that opening. It seems to be like when someone takes a picture of the book on social media, it is just as often that first paragraph as it uh-huh. is the cover. Which yeah, is I'm interesting not surprised. to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, so, well, yeah, and from like sort of like as as a rhetorical critic, and I'm not here, not critic in the sense of like I'm here to criticize the book, but as someone <laughs> who sort of likes to look at how language makes things work. Um, the, the what I like about this book, I think that I don't often feel the same way about some of the newer, younger readers. I think older, younger readers that that um, like like you said, a Wrinkle in Time and things were more like this, but the book sort of talks to the reader where they'd like the reader to be, not where they necessarily are. And I like that because it's just enough challenge yeah. that by the end of the book, young readers are more of a reader than they would have been had the book just treated them like they were reading this like obligatorily or, or whatever, right? Which is sometimes yeah. – sometimes I don't think the book's challenge – the reader quite enough, but so you challenge them just enough. And then you talk about onomatopoeias, which is when the word sounds like the sound that it makes, right? So crack is a good example, because when you crack a bat, it sounds like crack. And then you actually, the next line is the crack of a bat as the kids jump into this baseball game. And I thought, what a great way to take the pressure off.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Because you you have this really
1: dense, knotted passage that kind of, you know, I could just see a reader, like even and being like, I don't know about this, but then there's immediately a baseball game. And so you relieve them of that. And so the book kind of really rides that roller coaster of challenging them to be story collectors, but also recognizing
0: that they're still maybe
1: learning some of this. And I I just so appreciated your nuance on that.
0: Oh my gosh, Lee, thank you so much for saying that. That is, I think, um, one of the challenges across the board when you're writing for young readers is uh, to keep the language in a tone that is definitely accessible, but to challenge your reader um, mm. and to not assume that they won't understand the, the emotion that you're trying to convey. Because if any, if we understand anything universally, it's the emotion behind it. Sure. Um, so I think that um, one of the big things when you write for young readers is to never write down to a young reader. Um, but to keep in mind their reading level, so yeah, it's definitely a balancing act, and it's one that um, is is a challenge, but it's also such a wonderful reward when um, when young readers like Erilyn say, "I love your book." <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the ultimate reward right there We took it all.
1: She's a discerning reader. So yeah. if something doesn't catch her attention or or overwhelms her, it's you know, it's kind of like meh, you know. Yeah. She um yeah. she doesn't have like when I was a kid, it was all about like how hard can I like at what level can I read way beyond where I can actually understand what's happening. But she doesn't have that competitive spirit with reading. She she reads to appreciate, which I really appreciate about her. But for example, um, we read Amelia Bedelia when she was maybe like mm, seven. She did not like it. Oh yeah. And I, yeah, And I think it's because it was now that I'm looking back on it, it was a little bit juvenile for where her sensibilities yeah. were. And then this book is really has just the right amount, I think, sophistication. Yeah. Um, which is also well, true of the you. friendship line. Oh, oh, sorry. Did you want to say something?
0: No, I just, I, thank you for saying that. I that's yeah. that's Like I said, it's always a balancing act when you're writing for young readers, but it's, um, oh gosh, it's the reward is phenomenal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I teach college students. So it's actually not that it, the reading level is a little bit higher, but actually most of my college students still don't read much past a 10th grade level. And that's not because they're stupid. It's because that's about where reading really stops in in K-12 in most public education systems, right? They, they don't typically get much higher than about the 10th grade reading level um, in terms of comprehension. And so I, I find similar challenges when I'm trying to pick out things for them to read because many of them can't read a journal article written by an academic. I mean, they can process yeah. the words, but it just goes, it's just not engaging to them. And that's not because they're right. stupid. It's because there's just a huge disconnect.
0: Right, right.
1: So huh. yeah, it's that's a very, very similar struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, And then the, I thought the other place where this like sort of sophisticated writing shows up the best is in the friendship, because this is actually a friendship. And it was funny because Erilyn's trying to explain this friendship to me. And I'm like, so wait, she lied to her about the ghost? Erlen's like, <laughs> no she was doing it to be nice, but I like backfired. And it was really, it was so complex. She had a hard time almost articulating what the friendship was like. And I thought, now that's the sign of a good book about friendship. Because um, friendship is, is naughty and messy and it's not linear. Um, So yes. I really thought, so did you want to talk more about the inspiration for the friendship and did this actually also come from the true story or was this something that you invented and how, how did you think about how that was going to come across to your reader?
0: Um, yeah, I, I am passionate about telling stories about friendship for young readers because I think it is the second most important relationship that they have. (laughs) Um, And I I really feel very strongly that um, especially for this particular age group, like I said, I write for ages 8 to 14. It's becoming more and more important in their lives. And navigating that is scary at times. And um, it's exhilarating and it's fun and there's just so much emotion involved and I just I love portraying that and especially when it I love portraying becoming friends with someone um and so that's very uh that's a very exciting kind of thing for me to write about and I write about it quite a bit actually um so yeah it's something that like I said Viviani um actually lived in the library and her group of friends um really did live in, um, oh gosh, like a five, six block radius of the library. Um, Eva is based on an actual young girl who lived in uh, Rogers Pete department store, which is where Eva lives. But um, in, the, in the real world, Eva's name was Jane. And it just um, didn't lend itself to the type of view of New York City that I really wanted to portray. I really wanted to kind of show a little bit of the immigrant experience, um, as well, which is why, <clears throat> excuse me, Eva's family, um, is are immigrants and Merit's family are from Egypt. So, oh, that's um, fascinating. I yeah. did
1: not up on that interestingly enough, maybe because I was trying to think about what Erilyn would find interesting. But that's, yeah, no, that's but that's definitely there, right? Is that kind of immigrant anxiety and the, and the way that community gets built or not built and how that affects children's development.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And my, my editor was very, um, really good about helping me portray that in a way that was organic, realistic. Sure. Um, and it was something that was very important because it was um, New York in the 1920s was a boom mm-hmm. town for jobs, and culture. I mean, this is when the Harlem Renaissance is going on. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I wanted to try to portray that as much as possible while centering it on the New York Public Library. And the library, of course, serves so many different populations that it was very important to both me and my editor that that, that her friend group reflect that.
1: Yeah, and I do love the library as like a character in the novel, or sorry, yeah. in, the, in the book because yeah. um, you know, obviously, like you know, support for public libraries is waning. People don't have the same relationship to their local libraries as they used to, and I think including the library as part of what it means to be a story collector was a really good move.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I was really lucky that the New York Public Library actually signed on with Macmillan to do this project. So oh, when did they? I, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was really, I I have to say, Lee, it was it was such a great experience because when I came on board, both of these uh, entities had already kind of laid the groundwork for what they wanted. And so I got to go to New York and tour the library in a way that only someone who lived in the library would be able to see it. So I got the standard kind of public tour that everyone kind of gets to see, which are are free and they're phenomenal. You can um, register for those on the website. But um, one of the things that you know they really wanted to make sure was done was getting this view of the library that you would only have if you lived there. So I got to go into the basement. I got to go into the stacks that are employees only. Um, I got to kind of peek out onto the roof. It was really it It was a phenomenal experience for sure,
1: yes i'm I'm hoping that next time Erilyn comes up to New York, maybe we go into the city and do and do a tour because I think that well, and and it sort of speaks to you know I, and I'm you know preaching to the choir here, but um <laughs> i'm I'm an analyst, it's what I do, but sense of place you, know, you, you talked about like the universality of emotions as a as a driving way to connect with readers that maybe are struggling in touch with the language, but I think sense of place is also i mean that's why you like people like Tolkien. Or, yeah, you know but but also it's just enough place, right? There's not pages and pages about like what the New York Library looks like because you read some of, of the like more classic place based fiction like Tolkien, and it's like oh my god, if I hear about one more rolling <laughs> hill, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my mind. Every, but in this, every blade the library really is a character, right? The library it felt a lot like, and I'm sure that you're like so tired of people referencing new to Harry Potter, but it felt a lot like how how they use Hogwarts, which I, there's no, and, and there's no way that Hogwarts like wasn't thinking about like classic books where things took place in libraries and other, and other locations. So I, I consider this all, they're, you're all borrowing from each other in a lot of ways. And so I don't the, mean the to say that you're derivative, but it really feels like a character, right? The ghost has has a place, the, the statues yeah. have a place, the stacks have a place, but there's no part where you just talk about the library and bore everyone to death.
0: That is definitely, thank you for noticing that. Oh, and I should add that I will never, ever tire of someone comparing me to Harry Potter. <laughs> well, here's, here's hoping you get a six movie contract out of this deal. Right? You know, I'll take I, it, right? I think that's the ultimate compliment as a, as a writer for young readers, for sure, or really any writer, I think. Um, I, yeah, I really do feel pretty strongly in a lot of my books. Um, the setting is the character. My debut novel was, um, called Autumn Winifred Oliver does things different. It's also historical fiction and it is the story of how the great smoky mountains national park, which is very close to where I live and definitely close to where I grew up, um, how it became a national park. It used to be family farms and little communities and, you know, uh, Churches and schoolhouses, and it was fascinating to me how that became a park, um, and what happened to those families when it did.
2: Oh, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah. So, um, it, so for me, a lot of a lot of what inspires me is setting, and if that mm-hmm. is what's unique about the story, then it really does have to be a character. So, in this case what was unique about the Fiedlers was that they lived in the library and they made the most of that experience. And you, so, it really did have to be a character in order for that to portray their unique childhood.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I thought the, you know, the appearance of the library is spot on in terms oh, of, thank the, you. Yeah. Um, do you, do you ever get, Did you you have concerns about the fact that you tend to write historical fiction for younger middle readers? Because it seems like that'd be a little bit of a brave move because, you know, you might get the sense that, like, well, nobody wants to read about a 1920s library at that age, which you've now proven wrong. But I'm just thinking in the beginning, that seems, you know, very brave of you. Have you thought of any pushback on that?
0: Yes. Well, you know, I write um, I do have some contemporary books, too. I write um, a series of um, what I guess you could call dog books. Um oh, cool. for for Harper Collins one of them is a dog like Daisy um my next Oh yeah, book, yeah, I didn't know those were yeah, yours. I've heard of these. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then my next book that comes out June 2nd is called Zeus Dog of Chaos. So those are contemporary but they're told from a dog's point of view. So they're very very different than Story Collector and Story Seeker. Um but yes, to go back to the question about historical fiction, I do think it is a unique young reader who reads historical fiction. I did as a kid. I loved historical fiction. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you remember this book by Judy Bloom. I think it's the only one that she wrote that was historical fiction for kids, but it was called Starring Sally J. Friedman as Herself.
1: That's, yes, I do remember that book Um, because I was reading that while everyone else was reading those American Dolls books, which I personally hated because I didn't think they were historical fiction. They felt like contemporary novels set and in history I,
0: I, and very gimmicky
1: right which isn't surprising they were probably churned out by by ghost writers but yeah i remember that judy bloom book
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i think um i think readers uh who I, it does it takes a very unique type of young reader especially to um love history but it's it's really kind of cool because at at conventions like TomeCon or any other book festival you Those kids who really love books like that, boy, it is so cool to connect over a story that is uh, for a specific type of reader like that because they, it comes through. Like Erilyn, it, it's very obvious that she is a thoughtful, deep thinking reader. Mm. And it's really cool to have conversations with young readers who, who read like that. Yeah,
1: it's funny too, because you can tell that everyone reads for something different. Cause I always read for setting and language and she reads for relationships. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I just see that. Yeah. I'm just not a relational reader. I mean, I obviously like the relationships to function, but you know, just because there's a, a really nice friendship in the book, that's not what draws me. In fact, if you know, if I'm looking at a description and it's like an intergenerational tale of women and their mothers, I'm just like, <laughs> you know. But that's, but I think that's why, and that's why I've always loved historical fiction. And I thought in the story collector, you really get the best of both worlds because you get the, the, the sort of the relationships, the, the, the kids feel very contemporary, even though I think they could be placed in, I think you wrote them to be sort of ambiguous, which I think is good. Yeah. They, they don't talk like a kid in the 1920s would talk or anything. Um, but the setting and the place and the sense of history around the library and the time period and some of the struggles that they, that they were going through and opportunities, you know, all feel very. Specific and so it, it really has a lot to offer I think a variety of kinds of, of young readers i only I mean again, I only know from one kid's perspective, but it seems like um you've had a real a real success with this book and trying to reach lots of different readers.
0: Oh thank you, yeah, I do think that this particular book, because of its um uh, I just I feel like it's a unique story in and of itself, and because the feedlers were really great about leaving behind a lot of information oh nice. Um, Yeah, and they were great about um, sharing their childhood and sharing their stories about growing up in the library. So uh, really, most of what both story collector and story seeker, like the adventures that they go on, most of those are based on actual stories that they recounted later. Um, And so I think that adds to it. Yeah, I think um, the authenticity of that really... uh, kind of comes through in the, in the, these stories. So yeah, thank you for that.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, and, and I'm not used to interviewing, uh, young, young adult or middle reader or fiction authors. Are there any questions that you're, you normally get asked that you love to answer or maybe something no one ever asks you that you'd like to talk
0: about before we wrap? Um, I will, I will kind of address, cause people ask a lot of times, why do you write for this age group? Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and I think I, I love this question because for me, uh, it's a really big privilege to write for readers in this age group. Like I said, 8 to 14 is my primary age group. And I think because this is the first time that readers like Erlen are choosing books and reading them on their own. Yes. So up until this point, they have been, books have been chosen for them or read to them. Um, And so this is the first time that they're exploring new stories on their own. And there's a really big responsibility, I feel like, that comes with that, um, of telling authentic, true American stories, not stories that have been told through certain lenses of history. (laughs) And um, I feel really strongly that it's a very big privilege to be the first person who could possibly present an idea of, um, to oh, young I readers. Love that. That's yeah. a great
1: answer. That's a great answer to that question. <laughs> I did not ask and I wish I'd been mine.
0: <laughs> well, it's just, I, I love this age group so much and it just, they are such honest readers too. Like, boy, they will let you know if they do not like your story. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, part, yeah, You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, I, I adore it. I, it's, It's a great, great career. Well, I mean, yeah. Thank you so much. As I
1: mentioned, I'll just say it again. I, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, you bring, you bring imagination and thought of what is possible to to kids. And without great writers, I I mean, I can't even imagine where my life would have been if I hadn't encountered some of the books that I encountered. And it's so cool to be a person who's now contributing to that trajectory and like bringing real value to the lives of these young readers that are eventually going to grow up to be thinkers and creators and adults and all this stuff. So must right. be, yeah, it must be really it must be really rewarding. Do you ever get a, like, do you have to, what's the downside to it? Is there a oh. downside? Um, this, I is just do my, think, this is just my I critical do... brain wanting to.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think people think that children's books are easy to write. Oh, no, I, I do not. <laughs> think that. I... No, I mean, I, I I, don't think that you think that, Lee. <laughs> I think that a lot of people kind of, You know, when I'm at a very public event, a lot of people will come up and be like, oh, children's books. Yeah, you know, I've had an idea for one. I think I'll sit down and knock it out like next week. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) You you mail me a PDF. I'll I'll read two pages and let you know if
1: anyone's going to read this.
0: Yeah. And so I think in that case, I don't know that they're respecting their audience enough. Uh, no. And
1: you're right. I mean, a, yeah. a middle grade reader is not just going to sit through and plow through a book because someone told them to. I mean, I can't like adults in some ways are kind of a captive audience because once they get the book, you know, they may never read it. But kids not only don't spend any money, <laughs> yeah. but they right, they yeah. have to like the book. They have to read the back of it. They have to look at the illustrations and they have to look at a parent and be like, yeah, I'm into this.
0: Right. Right. So, you
1: know, <laughs> not easy. Well,
0: I really enjoyed
1: the book. It was fabulous.
0: Um, do you want to oh, add anything God. else or touch see. on anything
1: before we wrap?
0: I just, I'm so grateful that you reached out and asked to do this. Thank you so much. Um, it was a delight kind of meeting you this way. And yeah. too. it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy talking about stories all the time. <laughs> so thank you for letting me do that on a Friday afternoon.
1: <laughs> well, thank you again, Kristen and Erilyn both for being here. Again, for everyone at home, we've been discussing Kristen O'Donnell Tubbs' book, The Story Collector, which is part of a New York Public Library book series, published by Henry Holt & Co. in 2018. And as Erilyn mentioned, there's actually a sequel to the book, and I believe a third one coming soon, which is always exciting. Always on the hunt for the the next Harry Potter replacement. And since we're talking about the New York Public Library, and any library really, just a quick reminder that libraries uh, help support the New Book Network, and they're so important to getting books like Kristen's out to young readers, especially not to mention their uh, belabored parents under the current circumstances. So definitely make sure to check out your local library as soon as everything reopens. We are keeping our fingers crossed that that is soon and look on their shelves and find out if they have the latest um, copies of the story collector series. And if they don't, you can put in a request at the front desk and ask them to get a copy or if they don't have a copy or if you find that they only have one copy or that copy is very worn, it's great to buy a paperback um, and from you know the internet and donate it to your local library as a gift. Always a really great thing to do so that more young readers can get a copy of challenging, entertaining books like Kristen's. Thank you so much for listening. And to all my parents with children at home, I hope this was a nice reprieve and that you and your kids have enjoyed listening and not just parents, but also guardians and anyone else who's taking care of kids right now. And thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you
2: soon.